good evening. Welcome to the Lappin Monkey Music Show. And it's actually, it's, it's good morning and it's good afternoon because I'm in uh, New England and he was over near the side of the ocean. This is Steve Diggle from the Almighty Buzzcocks. Steve's been rocking for many, many years. Buzzcocks has a bunch of songs we all know. Steve has one of my favorite songs, which is Harmony in My Head, which is yeah, been a staple of mine forever. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Excellent. Really? Oh, I'm so disturbed. <laughs> right, we had, we had some little challenges, but we, we we got it. We're doing good. Obviously, this year has been a, a year, year and a half, and has been a challenge for music, and a lot of bads come from that. I think a lot of goods come from it too. I think it's a human, it's hu the human race, and we'll delve into that on a level of more of a songwriting for you type of thing. The changes in the past couple yeah. of years, you you've had a loss, but the mm. band has had to move on. We've people aren't totally familiar. I don't know where you've been, but the singer Pete Shelley passed away, unfortunately, um, 2018, I believe, uh, December. Right, and if yeah. you want to actually pick up from there, I mean, I don't want to, we have to relive everything for you. It's it's your friend. That's the kind of thing, really. I mean, um, so Pete died, and then um, we had a gig of the Royal Albert Hall to do in London. And um, we ended up making that a tribute gig to him, really. I mean, he was supposed to be playing, but... Uh, she died and then kind of had to deal with that. And then we did this gig like a tribute gig, you know. But what a beautiful tribute that would be, though. I mean, if you're going to really have a tribute of yourself, <laughs> the Wembley gig, as an artist to do a tribute at Wembley, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it was a big gig to do. It was a good gig to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was kind of weird going, where's the other guy? You know, the guy I've been yeah. with for four years. Suddenly I'm doing a tribute to him. <laughs> um, very strange, but um, um, I had like a, I think a couple of months to to deal with Pete dying as well. So we kind of go through that personally, you know. So by the time of the gig, it was more about just giving him a tribute, you know. Was it and, a little bit uh, different though? Because was it different? I'm sorry. Was it different though? Because and here's the thing: people don't realize it's like, oh, I lost my favorite artist or or whatever or whatever it is, they don't know him, but you lost a, a best friend. So, and you yeah. work with him. So, I mean, it's just more than just like, so it overlaps into your thing. So it's gotta be many touchstones back and forth to, oh, yeah. to I mean, handle. It was um, a massive thing really, because I think at that point, we, the band had been together and so, you know, I met him like kind of day one of the band. So it was like 43 yeah. years. But like you say, one we was uh, we did all the music together, but also we, you know, we were friends as well and yeah. spent a lot of time together, more than our wives, girlfriends, kids, or ever, you know. Kind of well, that's the thing. You, you lose you lose your singer guitarist. You want to go, and then you'll see like, hey, I'll go talk to my best friend about it. That was also one of your best friends. So yeah, you know. so a massive impact, you know. Um, in those ways, it was, um, but. Then again, when I was 17, uh, another best friend of mine died in a car crash. I was at the car crash as well. So I was 17 years old and this car crashed, came flying off the road. And I was lucky to escape it. It came off the road and hit. It went into a, a petrol station, a garage. When I opened my eyes, we demolished the petrol pump, gas what? pump. So that could, I looked up and I got out of the car. I thought that could have gone up in flames, you know. I just oh my screamed. god, it sounds like a movie. Like it was like a movie. And my mate was lying down on the floor, and I 
the driver came over. I was tapping his friend of mine's face and he said, take a look at him again. All his head was split open. So that was the age of 17. And what I realized from that, you know, to know the meaning of death is to know the meaning of life. It kind of made me realize I was 17. This guy was like 21. Mm-hmm. Well, you should bring together in a local bar and talk about maybe getting a band together and stuff like that. So that incident, and then my dad dying years later, and of course, when we was on the road, we um, we took that guy from Joy Division with us. He hung himself at the end of a tour. Then we had That's Kurt right. Hall. He brought them on tour. For people who don't know, let me just keep people in line. I know this. Right. You guys were such a startup band to begin with. I mean, Steve, you know, if Steve was such a troublemaker at his job and got fired from organizing a, a, <laughs> a group of people, he wouldn't even be playing right now. <laughs> Young rap stillion he was at the time. Um, but the journey was, it itself made, they started... The, the DIY thing really was pretty much inspired by you guys, and then you brought along Joy Division. And unfortunately, at the end of the tour, you had Joy Division. The singer had ended up hanging himself with his own he had his own issues. But once again, that's where we at with that in case people weren't following. Okay, sure. And then of course we went on tour with Nirvana later in the nineties, and Kurt killed himself at the end. You know, um, string of deaths really. The, the day we signed the record deal, I was Presley died. Of Mark Boland from T Rex, he had a television show, um, and we just brought out our first EP, Spinal Scratch, and he, he invited us on his TV show, and he died. Mm-hmm. So, building up to the beat death, that was kind of like fuck. I'm getting used to this. Well, you build up the emotions and ways to deal with it, you know. Yeah. So it's all the people I mentioned. It's like. Fuck, I was with that guy kind of yesterday or whatever, you know, and now he's gone, you know. Um, it's, so it's, it's, it's crazy. Really? It's almost so, if you, part of it is, well, Pete, it's just the age. We're all at the age now. We're like, you yeah. get more, you do more funerals and deaths is, is, is how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the next, your, mate, your friend is always like, oh, they got a new condition, a new, a new set of pills, a new, a new ailment, a new oil, right? But also with the music, the feel that you were in, deals with a lot of artists and a lot of art is comes from tragedy or hardship so then you look at the joy division kirk O'Main, there's a lot of depression and illness so the common theme of that also has overlapped with you and your artists and your career you yeah. however are pretty upbeat <laughs> as, a, as, as a songwriter too you know so it kind of goes kind of against the the theme of the, almost like the, the genre you've been kind of you know put into yeah, I think um, in the face of adversity, I kind of deal with that inspiration thing, you know? Yeah. Personal inspiration thing. I try and pass that on a lot in my songs. And uh, it's also for me to get something, rather than kind of go down. I mean, I don't mind getting down with a song, but it's still underneath it, inspirational to me underneath, and hopefully to people that listen to it. You know? Yeah. It's not maudling depression for depression's sake, you know. I mean, some of those artists we mentioned, they made a choice to kill themselves. That's a different thing, you know. Absolutely. I see all this stuff. And um, that comes into your music. But um, you kind of read the... When I was a kid, read a lot of existential books, you know, your mm-hmm. Dostoevsky, Ultras and all this. And all that deals with a lot of death in some ways, you know. Almost kind of point now, because... 
like I say, when I had that first that car accident, I thought I know the meaning of. I walked around in a trance, thinking, "Fuck, that's how quick we can go in life." You know, I'm 17 years old. You're kind of used to your granny dying or your right. relationship. Are old. You're kind of mentally prepared for that somehow, but when it's someone from your local bar, when you're 17, it's like, fuck, he was only 21, you know. Unlike the James Dean of the piece, you know, he went. Um, and that made me realise a lot of things, you know. But the and fact made- you kept with, though, you caught that, though, I'm sorry, but you, you caught that. You're, but imagine, the last 17 years, there was like, oh, that's awful, that's gross, or they go another way with it. You took it and you actually kept it with you. You, you viewed it almost as, as, an, as almost like an adult, like later in life, you can look back at things that happened and go, I get where that happened. I see where that shaped me. You made that decision at 17 and kept that as a cognitive thought in mm. your life, which has been helpful. But that's not a normal thing that most 17-year-old boys are thinking. Well, that's it. You know, at 17, you kind of think you know all, but you're also very innocent, or in a, in a sense, you don't know all mm-hmm. of it, you know. And um, so to have that lesson, you know, you had your kids at school, then had a job, caused the strike, and then you know, in a steel foundry, the culture strike there, that was a a big incident. And all the workers <laughs> came for me, you know, like Marlon Brando at the waterfront, you know. You were, <laughs> you were just... But it was something there, and I said, um, I'm going to put my coat on, get on the bus, go home, tell my folks, you know, finish with the job, and uh, I'm never going to work again, you know. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> no, because you do what you was, love, you mean... There's challenges, but you know, I get what you're saying. That's that's brilliant. Some that was in our inbuilt gyroscope, you know. And then the next thing that that friend of mine died. But I, then it just gave me a whole lot of meanings about life, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. So suddenly when when we started doing the music, that would have been there someone, you know, that was part of my education, that depth thing. Yeah. Knowing that every second counts or it's possibly could disappear, you know, because we're always sold that um, this great future somewhere, you know, this utopian dream of things like, um, yeah, you'll get a job, you'll get married, everything's going to be great, you know. <laughs> you got to listen, yeah. What was the advantage of who was selling you that dream? Like, what are they getting out of that deal? You got to always kind of question who's selling you that deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all, somewhere along the line, you grow up with that till you figure out, do you really want that or not? You know, I realized I didn't want that when I was 17. <laughs> But I had these deaf things to deal with as well. So, you know, it had, a guess, a profound effect. But out of that um, became the other things, you know, um, the kind of inspiration thing and the way of looking at life in different ways, you know, which is always in my lyrics somehow, you know. Let's think so. Yeah, we, we, I don't want to focus on death because that's just, I just want to bring people to, up to speed. I mean, I want to do it. But yeah, but the lyrics and stuff has affected you like from the beginning to now to your solo albums. And and what we're doing now is you're continuing on and people aren't aware Buzzcocks are still here. They're not going anywhere, which is which is great. It shouldn't go anywhere. And this is this is you know, it was good news to hear that it didn't end. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of so so suddenly then Pete dies, we do that Royal Arbor Hall gig, make a mm-hmm. tribute for big gig in London. Um and then it's like, you know, do you want like Well, the, a lot of fans said, carry on, Steve, you know, and I thought, well, if Buscock stopped, then, you know, they're dead as well, really. Well, it'll be a memory, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm still here. And the manager said, Just, we're still in the land of the living, you know. And funny right. enough, 
Funny enough, Pete, uh, um, we, we were doing some shows just before he died, only a couple of weeks, couple of weeks before, and he um, he said, I'm, I'm thinking of retiring, carrying with my blessing, you know, and I said, no, you, you ain't going anywhere, man. We've got things to do, you know. He came to my room twice on that tour, you know, we'd have a little drink and general chat, yeah. but he, he mentioned twice. He said, carry on with my blessing. And I was kind of like, what are you going about? You ain't going nowhere. We finished those shows, and within less than a week, I got the phone call. He died. So it was almost like he was saying, carry on, you know? I mean, that was Clearly, he was. I mean, I mean, to get that is special, because let's face it, a few things. Sometimes bands don't want you to go on without them. Splits or breakups. The fans can take different sides. And they can be like, it's not the same band. There's blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. To me... It's, it's rock and roll on, on whatever you want to call it. It's music. It's fun. No one works at the same company forever. No one, nothing lasts the same forever. Go out and have fun. You know what I mean? And don't hurt anybody. And the fact that he said it to you, it's weird. Like did, with the health issues, did he, did he, like, did he know in the back of his mind he's, he wasn't feeling that good? Like it, maybe not maybe he was going to pass away, but maybe he was going to retire physically or such a weird. And saying you're going to retire is always, is always a death wish. You know that, don't you? Don't ever say you're going to retire. I had a friend that retired. Three weeks later, he died. You just never can retire. That's it. You just do something different. <laughs> Take a break, but don't ever say retire. Maybe even the fact you talk about it might have killed him. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he's retiring, like you say. And uh, usually that kills people a lot of the time, doesn't it? You know, you know what people say. You think you, you, you hold hate, you get cancer, you think too much of something, you're, you're manifesting something in your brain. Who knows? You're bringing it in, aren't you? You know, yeah. yeah. So, so that was a big thing. And then, so we did that, but then we, we managed to, because of booking times, you need at least three or four months to book shows. So we did like 10 shows after that tribute show. And it went really well, you know, all the fans mm -hmm. came. I even said in one interview, I think it was in a place called Newcastle, in a magazine, I said, I only want positive people there, you know. Don't come yeah. if you're going to complain, you know. You know, if you, if you can bring Pete Shelley back, fine, I'll be the first there. But, you know, get fucking real with this, you know. He's gone. We're kind of on. That's the way it is. Don't come, com you know, complaining about that thing because it's not. But he was like endorsing it, but he endorsed it too. I mean, he was, you know, so it's not even like you were like in some band and it's like two versions of Buzzcocks out there and you guys are fighting illegal, you know, two sides. There's nothing. It was a unit and he was going to move on. You were still going to go on. It was. It's a shame you lost your best friend, is what it comes it's down really, to at this point. Well, we did those 10 shows uh, with me kind of fronting it. And, um, How'd that feel? Off it live anyway, mainly as well, but uh, during the years. But um, um, it all went really well. It was fantastic. Nobody, you know, people were singing the songs, getting into the music. And um, we'd brought. We brought out a new single quickly, so I said, if we're going to do a tour on a new single, it's not just playing the old stuff. The old mm -hmm. stuff's great to play, but uh, I said, I want to make it relevant, you know? So yeah, we did bring out a new uh, single, which sold out really quickly and sold out in the stalls and in the shops. And whatever. The, the Gotta Get Better single, Double A Side and Destination Zero? Destination Zero, yeah. Gotta Get Better was the A Side. Yeah. I think I like the B-side better. <laughs> well, let's talk about both of them, though. So let's talk. So Destination Zero, let's talk about that that's, that song first. So you choosing that for the single, what backstory on that? Yeah, the A-side was the pop side and the B-side 
Um, funny enough, me and the manager never discussed which, which should be the side. And, uh, I, after it was pressed, I said, uh, I would rather the other side. And he said, you should have told me. <laughs> I've actually heard it called a double A side, so I've actually even heard it called, like just two A sides for it. But when you think back to all them classic Buzzcock singles, it was always yeah. the same. The side was always as good, you know? And we always used to have the problems then of thinking, we'd go in the studio with two songs to make the single, and it'd be like, well, which is going to be the A and which is the B? And it was only a fine line which, which side was going to be which, you know? Which is hard, because so, then you're like, you don't want to be putting on a bad song either on the other side, so you don't want to be wasting songs, but they'll be like, they're both good songs. No, we, we never went in and said, we've got an A side, let's just put something on the B side. There was always two A sides, you know? <laughs> It was, and it was like, well, you've got to choose one. Apart from many years ago, we did um, the last six singles before we kind of split for a while in the 80s, didn't have an AOB side, which caused EMI Records uh, a lot of problems. It was, going, <laughs> it was, it was this side one side or something, and side the other side, you know, but they're both eight sides. And of course, record companies have major problems with that. Too. But we said that's the way it is. There's no A and B sides. So we've always had that thing, but we always class them as good. We've never done, um, oh, that's the throwaway B side kind of trip, you know. Having said that, in the future, I was thinking when when you're young and you go and put some money on a jukebox in a bar right. or somewhere, B sides were interested in the seventies because there was kind of deliberate B side someone. Not just throwaway, it was like, we've got the great A side, let's do something weird on the B side, you know. Exactly. It would be a cover of Student Expect or, or a deeper cut or an instrumental. So, yeah, it was always yeah. something that was totally abstract from the yeah. artist you would not expect. Yeah, or something that it didn't quite sound like the band properly, you know what I mean? Something right. a bit obscure, you know. And um, I thought, I wouldn't mind looking, you know even though now you can cherry-pick on the internet. But I, I thought uh, it'd be quite interesting to do weird B-sides in the future, you know, or bring that mentality back a bit, you know? Oh, totally. You could, or you could do some <laughs> covers and stuff too, or, you know, mix it up, live stuff, and not you put all your best stuff out. Like... But, you know, what kind of B-sides are about? I mean, I don't know whether there's an album of greatest B-sides, you know? <laughs> I thought bands do actually, the, yeah, they're, they're B singles. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest Bs. Obscure as well, not just like, oh, that's the B side. You know, it's like, just have a different vibe, you know. And in the 70s, some of them did, you know. It was like, that sounds a little bit weird, you know. They, the band have took it somewhere else for a moment, you know. I used to love to do that in places like a pizza place, and you could, you'd have the, 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 the two sides, and yeah. everyone would be in there, and everyone have to listen to what you would do. Besides those doing yeah. the same song like five times in a row and then leaving, you would do the thing where you would um, you do the deep cut and everyone's like, they would like not know it. <laughs> and you'd like, oh, be like yeah, it'd be fun. We went to the bars. We always used to do that. Say like the Rolling Stones Satisfaction, the B-side with Spider to the Fly, you know. Yeah. Regular it's a good example. Wouldn't know what that was, you know, back in the day, you know. That's a good example, exactly, of doing, right, of doing a B-side the right way. You know? Yeah, you know. That's totally the other way. It, it's also different because singles now, A and B sides is almost on some level not everyone does singles. It's, it's more of a niche thing. Like I do vinyl still. So it's like the words of saying, oh, it's a, you know, saying like this is a podcast when technically a podcast was just just audio, but now a podcast is considered video too. Like 
the names have changed. Like you call a record. I have records, mm. but like when you buy records, it's not really a record anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like the terminology has changed so much. So now when you do like you do an A and B side, you're like, to really do an A and B side is a physical thing. It's almost kind of different than what people think of your A single and your B single is. You know what I mean? The landscape with media has gotten goofy. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's where to move on with it, isn't it? But I still think of it like that. <laughs> oh, I do I too. B sides, like you say, a lot of young kids go, what's a B side, isn't it? Once they've been recorded. My kids don't actually have these record players, you know. <laughs> like, my yeah. kids don't even know how to use a record player. I'm like, they know how to use my record player and play the Beatles and, and the Stones and stuff. I, I can't, most albums I don't even get that are past like late late 80s, early 90s, most albums of artists that were, that were recorded just because of the sound is not really designed for vinyl. One, one of the things that's really good is, is, is in your songwriting, you've always kept up, up, a very upbeat in your songwriting and it's very, you know, personal on, 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 on a good level, but it's very relatable. When you're, when you're doing that, are you writing, how are you writing your songs? Are you doing like the acoustic thing? Are you doing a melody? How are you breaking your, your songwriting down? Has it changed a little bit over the years? Well, with the solo, I did some acoustic things, even one acoustic with the buzzcocks, but um, it kind of varies really. I mean, um, after we did that tour, we, COVID came along, Suddenly, mm-hmm. uh, we're all grounded for a year and a half or whatever. So I thought, well, the only thing I can do now is get down writing the new Buzzcocks up. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. And to be honest, COVID was very good for me. I should get a badge. I love COVID because it kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no one's careful you wear that, that badge, though. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Give me time to personally analyze myself as it did for a lot of people, you know. No. You know, I think if you look at the uh, philosophical side of COVID, it was like, well, you, you've got to get used to who you are again. You've got to find out who you are. You, you know, you can't go anywhere. You're kind of locked in a room with yourself. <laughs> Do you remember who you were? Right. Before that? So uh, there's those elements to it, if you look at it positively, you know. I know uh, all the rest of it, like society had stopped and stuff. But um, so, so that's what I've been doing. I've been... I, I, I wrote the new Buzzcocks album uh, during the COVID time. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting because I changed, I, halfway through right now, I thought, well, normally Pete's there with me as well. I, I, I have my department, the Steve Diggle department. He has his Pete right. Shelley, you know. And we've got to react against each other sometimes with it, the chemistry. And um, so... I brought some elements of him. I thought, I'm still bringing him with me on this, you know. Halfway through writing these songs, I thought, some Pete Shelley moments here. So I've looked at this album with the dynamics of both of us going on it, you know. I like that. That was Which, That's kind of the question. Because it's, it's interesting because you've done solo stuff and you've done... Um, yeah, thank you. So when you write, sometimes you write, it's always you, but with the Buzzcocks, to keep that sound without making a solo, but keep the Buzzcocks sound, but you've written with him so long, you know how he writes now too, so you can kind of put that play in it and keep it going. Yeah, and it was halfway through, I thought, I don't know making my solo of him, but, if, you know, when you start, you know, you start off the writing, and then you've got a few Well, songs. that's the danger. And I'm kind of thinking, I want to make a Buzzcocks album, take it 
with all the classic elements, but take it forward as well, a little mm. bit forward. Some new elements to it, but have all the classic elements. So I'm thinking that way. And then, then I got around to thinking, well, you've got the Pete type songs. I've got to get into a bit of those as well or, and bring some yeah. of that in, which eventually I started doing. And I thought, this is giving me a picture and moulding this new Buzzcock something. I, you know, I've got all the elements there, you know, all the colours so. on the panel. But it took a while. It took a few weeks and months because just this, that realisation of it, you know. But first you, had of- to you had somebody else writing, doing, doing Pete stuff. Pete. <laughs> 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 well, we never thought of that. I've known the guy long enough. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know we do a well, Um And um, considering when we did those last 10 days, I'm kind of singing in his range, you know, like, and what do I get? Stuff like that. Yeah, how's that go? Because as we, as, we, as we age, our voices get differently. And now you're singing in his range at a different point in your life. Was that a little bit of a challenge? Yeah, not really, because... I used to like kind of go deeper and rockier because he was singing like that, you know, he had his own thing. So I'd react to it, that higher range, and I'd go on a bit more darker, heavier range to complement each other, you know. It, it sounds good. I actually, heard some, I've heard some of the live stuff of you doing it. And I actually like it. I was questioning how much you felt like you were really had, kind of had to work it a little bit because that's not, that wasn't usually your, your gig prior, you know. Yeah, if we were both kind of, um, Singing in that high voice, going nobody loves me. It'd be like not you as well. You know what I mean? But two guys with the same fucking problems. <laughs> yeah, that right. You know, and um, you know, it's songs like autonomy, and even why can't I touch it was my groove. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote the words, but it, that essentially was my. I used to always try and take it in different areas because Pete was quite linear a lot of times. You know, so, but. Um, so I just, I, I kind of took elements of all that, really. I was aware of all that stuff. So like a fine whiskey, I blended a bit of his voice into my voice and come up with a third person, if you see what I mean. This, yeah. You know, it, there was little trips along the way. Um, and I've kind of made a new Buzzcocks voice to, for myself, in a sense, you know. That's just pretty So when you wear this album, this new album... Um, you'll think, fuck, that's buzzcocks. <laughs> it won't I'm be. Thinking you're, you're fine wine, you're fine, you're fine whiskey, you're blending uh, analogy there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, you look at yourself classy. I look at myself. I'm like, I'm like a bottle of wine you put in a in a paper bag and you drink behind a gas station. You have yeah. a nicer version of yourself. This is exciting. So the one thing with you guys is you guys you that I've always loved is the play of the vocals with two singers mm. with the future of the band. How are you going to, are you going to try doing that too? Like as you're doing the other vocals, are you going to have someone else kind of coming in and doing your version of what you were doing sort of our incorporating something different? Well, I've kind of got a guy that plays with a slide on guitar, but I don't think, I don't think he, he's not from Manchester. He's Italian. So, you know, wow. he, he can sing well for life, but it, you know, I, but with multi-tracking these days, yeah. I mean, you remember, yeah, right? really. it's like the Beatles. When you listen to the Beatles, uh, by the time of the White Album, mm-hmm. they're multi-tracking themselves. You know, if yeah. this is John Lennon doing Happiness is a Warm Gun, or it's all in multi-track mainly, you know. So, Well, studio you can do it. I meant like live, though, you're going to have somebody do maybe do a little bit 
play in the background with you. Yeah, but yeah, for the studio. Funny, I mean, I'm kind of in the studio at the moment. We've done all the backing tracks. Um, we're, we've got a, we've got a festival and a couple of shows coming up in I think it's like two weeks. So I'm 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 rehearsing with the band for those shows, and then like the next day I'm in the studio. Then I'm rehearsing mm-hmm. with the band. I'm in the studio. We're doing it. Uh, I'm kind of old every day, but um, I've kind of got the voices for this uh, thing. You know, I've got well, yeah. new, I've got a new high one which is suits me, you know, which part of my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But that elements of Pete in it and then elements of me and all that. So just to make more sense of it being a buzzcock song. Plus the fact it's got all the elements of classic buzzcocks song like it sounds but like the future, you know. Well we will we will promote this on the channel if you want to come back where we can break down the album and talk some more about it too. I wanna yeah. I want people to hear it and, and, and really all the songs are really catchy, you know. Catchy as COVID, as I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's your that's your new slogan. You're the new variant. <laughs> oh, God. Um, play the more classic, catchy buzzcock songs, you know what I mean? All that. And there's some heavy dark ones. You know, they've got the chugs. We've even got like a new white card touch. It's called Experimental Farm about the food we eat, about the things you put in your mouth. And the GM foods and the government controlled, so that's the political one, you know. That's good. It, it, it's, it's a thing you, you guys have always been a thinking band too. I was also going to heart on your sleeve, punk. And the punk bands didn't know what to do because you guys were such a, a heart felt band too, you know. You always play your, which is kind of punk, doing your own thing, you know. Yeah, but it's punk in our way. We, we you know, we never so? just, we never just point to the government and said the government's wrong. It's like, do I need to tell any kid that? It'd be like. You know, you know, that's too simple for us, you know. We know the world's a complex place, you know. I've got I to say, government's wrong. I mean, kids go, fuck, really? <laughs> well, nowadays, everybody, everybody looks at their government nowadays because they can go online everywhere. We can all go, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just them, it's us, it's everybody. We can all see, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, mine, I dealt with it. Uh, I had that solo album in the space times a couple of years ago, and that yeah. was like, hide yourself, fuck the government. Be your own president of your own body, you know. If you turn your back on them, they've got no audience. That was the thinking behind me in a space times album, you know. Actually, I've, I've heard that. I've actually, it's, it's a good album too. I recommend people go back and listen to your solo stuff. Just listen to everything. I mean, it's it all stands the test of time, you know. And, uh, if I if I carried on as a, a solo artist and did the Buzzcock songs on my solo stuff, because I want to do that at some point as well, you know, a blend of the two. Well, um, they're, they're your songs you're singing yeah. you know well, this doing maybe I'm seeing it as a, a kind of a, a bridge album as well because this will be like a classic new Buzzcocks I mean it's sounding great what, a, uh, what I heard in the studio it's sounding really good um, but I'm hoping to take it somewhere else as well with the Buzzcocks you know what I mean with, with a, a kind of keep putting a modern twist on it somewhere you know or refreshing things. Or refreshing, you know? irrelevant, keep it re- well, you guys are relevant. I mean, and the fact you guys, your sound has never changed like live. You've never gotten weaker. It's always, I mean, people go online, look at, look at crappy YouTube videos, and you guys still sound good on a crappy YouTube video. That, that's a and, testament to, you know. Well, on the songwriting basis as well, I mean, I, you know, I've got logic and all that crap on my laptop, but I didn't fucking use <laughs> 
it takes too much time, you know, fucking about. So I use a four-track cassette player. <laughs> I was going to say, like, give me a Tascam, right? The old Tascam, remember those? That's what I had. That's how I started. Or Port Studio, I love it. Yeah. You know, I gave it, I gave it to an American guy that lives down the road from me. He's got a, a studio in Maine, a massive studio. I think his dad wrote a lot of hits in the 50s. But uh, he lost, he said he'd get the, my original Tascam fixed and he's lost it, you know. Oh. I've got a, a, a Korg at the moment. I've got a few of oh. them, uh, old, old ones. And um, I've got the Tiak one. It's just, the button's kind of gone. I'm going to get a new one. I think they're about $500, you know. They've, yeah. That's a 24-track, but I only use eight, you know. But going back to the four-track one I've got, um, I thought, you know, that minimizes all the all the nonsense, you know. And, you know, sometimes just a little drum machine, a bit of a guitar and a melody, you know. If There's a danger. There's a rabbit hole, right? That's all the you technology. The technology rabbit hole. Sometimes you, next thing yeah. you know, it's three days later and you're working on one sound for your guitar and you forgot what the song idea was. Well, that's what happened in the end. When I've done a few songs on the tape recorder, I just end up standing there with the guitar and doing it all in my mind. I thought I can't be bothered switching the tape on. And um, I thought, if you can't just fucking strum a chord and play this song live, you know. And yeah. it takes a lot to get out of these habits of fucking messing about on these computers and go, look, that's a fucking song right there. In your mind, you, you just play a couple of chords and Back to them elements that yep. kind of work. Even if the first time going through, it's good to do it. And maybe, maybe later down the studio, someone can say, hey, why don't we, you know what I mean? Mess yeah. around there, but when you're doing the main song. Ben was saying to me, send me a fucking thing on the computer. I'm going, no fucking. I <laughs> 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 said, one, I'm not sure what I could do that. But two, you know, you've got to get in the room. I'm going to fucking say goes like this and you've got to play along, you know. And I good. think that there's a lot of elements there that keep keep it good, you know, about that, you know. But anyway, yeah. around song, it's like you don't need all this fucking stuff, in. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm in my music room here, but also I've got a shed outside in the garden. I've got an old beat of guitar and a little amp. Because it was very sunny in the cold, and I wrote a lot out there, you know. Yeah. On barely anything, you know. But that's what it comes down to the best songs you can they, they say if it's a good song, you can take an acoustic guitar mm. and you can play it anywhere if it's a good song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was synthesizing emotions and things, um, anything because I have cassette players out in there. You know, I still got my old tapes, I still got my records, solar. Yeah. You know, I I've got an iPad with the fucking music, you know, if I want to Google something quick. But um um so Notions of things that were affecting me, you know. I found a David Bowie Grace hits cassette, you know, an official one. So I had that running by, and I'm sure some something came out of that, all these early hits in it, in my mind and through the guitar, you know. And then there'd be other artists, but uh, I just put them on when I was having a rest, you know. But essentially, I was thinking Buzzcocks. But I... I never listened to a Buzzcocks song because it was very hard listening to Pete's voice, to be honest, you know. It was yeah. like fucking wrote their pieces, you know what I mean? If I, and it's still difficult now. And it's difficult for a few other members of the band. It's like, fuck, when you hear Pete's voice, you know. But um, but it, 
just having them things in your mind and using your mind again in little ways and using that minimalist thing to get to a song, which I thought that's what we did back in 1976, really, you know. It's what oh. fucking Cherry used to do to people, you know, <laughs> for all this fucking technology stuff. You know, well, the way that's, that's what you guys are. The Buscats were a good, a good pop melody, great lyrics, but generally two, two different vocals. And something smart, and usually something your heart or something you think about, you know what I mean? With a great pop mm. song. Very, and it's yeah. all four instruments, you know, and four musicians all playing their mm. own instruments and two guys singing, like really co singing at times. That to me is, is a buzzcock sound, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what you're doing. And you're doing the two voices, you're doing it all. But that's why I don't want to, uh, that's why I never played, sent the band anything, really, you know what I mean? I kind of said, look, We've got to go in the room and I'm going to show you the song. And I want to see you react to it, you know? Like, I'm excited. No. So it's good like that, you know. And, um, um, I think we recorded about 14 songs. I mean, I'm on to the second album now. I'm writing some stuff for that. But um, I've got to get this one done. I'll be in this week in the studio uh, doing the guitars and stuff like that, you know. What are we looking at for maybe a release for, for us to, to hear it, for people to hear it? What, for release, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know. As soon as we can get it done, really. It's just that a couple of other members have been busy doing things and we had COVID. So mm-hmm. that did Because I wrote these songs a few months back. Yeah. And ready to go for it. But then you couldn't get in the studio because of COVID. And then, you know, the, it's never happened before with a Buzzcocks band, but it's like, you know, the drummer has got his kids or something. I'm like, what the fuck? This is rock and roll. We don't know all this shit, you know? <laughs> We're the Buzzcocks. We don't do this. We do music. We got we to get going. We got a tour. We need new music. Yeah, I believe with Matt going, we're reconvening in over six months and all that, you know? I don't, <laughs> you know, bands in the 70s, like that, you know? And if, right? And have, you, luckily, you only have four members. If you had as many members as a touring band up for the good match, you would never have time to get together. That's why it takes so long. <laughs> No, I remember in the 70s, somebody, some guy got a helicopter. I won't say the bandage. I was working in a studio in Manchester. I think in an evening, we, we put at least six songs down. This is one of the bus coaches, my flagger convenience man. Yeah. Some guy got a helicopter back. He phoned up the studio and said, I've got the second line for the second verse for that song. You've got a helicopter. <laughs> Did the second line, got back in the helicopter and went back. Wow. Said, what the? You know, <laughs> looking back, those are funny stories from the 70s. Can you imagine that nowadays, somebody doing that? They're like, I could have done that on my bed, on my computer. <laughs> are you used to it? You know what I mean? Are you insane? That's what you're going to do? You're going to fly the helicopter, not an island, not somewhere else? <laughs> Probably some extravagance, you know. <laughs> I don't I know what it's like. Uh, probably makes it worse, I think. You know, the spontaneity is gone. You know? <laughs> he probably yes. got the helicopter back next week to do it again. You know, I got the third line now. I'll fly back. Oh. You know, that's another one. Well, I know. Well, yeah, you better have a couple of good platinum albums to pay for that. Just to pay for that too. But what's good oh, yeah. is, is just you're you're still creating that. That's where the happiness is. You know, because they kind of go like, yeah, sure, we'll play. And then it's like, by the way, you don't know you always this. You know. <laughs> Well, I would say, you know, because the record labels aren't banks. They're just financial. They're musical financial, you know. Actually, they are banks. I'm sorry, they're musical banks is what they are. You know what I mean? They're not, yeah. they're not your friends. They're not. They, a lot of them, they finally say, I don't really understand why people are buying your stuff. You're not, not a hit. 
When they say you're not good, they mean we don't think we can make money off you. Is what they really just here said. We don't know where we can make money. We're an investment group. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, we've never uh, gone down you, that you, road. You guys actually were one of the first bands to make your own records. If people don't know, you guys we, actually we pressed never, your first 500 or 1,000 records. You guys, and you kind of started it. 500, right? yeah. That was just for local fans because we'd, we'd never heard, heard ourselves in the studio and we didn't know didn't know what was going to happen with it, but we we were playing the local gigs there, and then it was like, well, you know, the fans will buy it. And of course, it got yeah. reviewed in papers, and it went through the roof, you know. We, and we that was to, 76, 77? I'm not sure the exact year, right? 76 right? or 77, you did that, right? 76, yeah. My God, think about that now. That's some trendsetting. I had to... Well, it was like, if we took this if we took the tape to the studio, they'd probably laugh us out of the building at that time because nobody's, you know, spiral no. crap, like rough, you know, and um, we knew there was magic there, but it was like, if we took this into a record uh, company, they wouldn't know what the hell it was about. So we pressed up the 500 records and uh, it was like a thousand pounds, thousand dollars. And, um, and they so quickly sold out and got major reviews. It was like a piece of art. Then suddenly we had six major record companies wanting to right. sign it. <laughs> but on paper, you guys would never sound like, besides the sounding music, and then you're like, and then like your first single, which the band was, you know, it's, it was uh, orgasmatic, which is totally not a commercial song, especially back in the 70s. And then, you know, we're kind of a punk band, sort of, but we also sing about love. Wait, what? So like, on paper, you guys totally... <laughs> <laughs> but against everything, it sounds like what would make money. Like literally every, the first single is going to be totally something that's not going to be commercial and censored. And we've never heard of this before. So we want you to sign us. And oh yeah, and uh, we do love songs as a as, as, um, punk band sort of at the time. That was the label at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, we the reason we signed United Arts with the guy that came around with his uh, A&R guy that was told to us. I mean, we had six major record companies wanting to sign us after the initial spiral scratch record we made and um we said we we want artistic control really you know because we never sat down to write a hit ever you know it was like they became hits because people voted with their feet for them it mm -hmm. wasn't like hey let's write a hit fucking single um so when we signed the the first um <clears throat> First single for United Artists was Orgasmatic, like you say. And then that got put back, the release date got put back at least three weeks because um, the record plant went out on strike for a moment, said, We're not printing this filth, you know. Orgasmatic. But it worked because that was, that was the first song I heard from you guys when I was a teenager. My friend's like, You got to hear this. Puts in his cassette player in his Camaro and goes, You got to hear these guys. And that was it. it. We had the problem with the record pressing plant. They would they refused to press it at first. They're going, this is disgusting filth. Oh, catamatic. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't designed to be a, a massive hit at the time, but it was. And the amount of people that come to the shows and go, when I was a kid, I was playing that in my bedroom, and my folks had gone, what the fuck are you talking? What? Oh, catamatic. Take that thing off. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny. It's a play on words, and it's not. And it's also, but the thing is, with that, just the music itself, though, it's so catchy. You can put any words to that song. It was such, 
a happy yeah. beat. It's happy. It's like you know they talk about angel chords. You play the, the rock chords that make you feel good. Those angel chords. That's what a lot yeah. of your songs have in them. They have this really the you and the Buzzcocks sound is very happy, no matter what it's about. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like you know, you know we. We were trying to end the beginning of the pump thing, and when you think, but you were singing like, too, though. You guys, you guys could sing. Like that, 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 really. Yeah, I thought when you, um, and fat men kind of fueled angst. You know, it was that kind of stuff we were doing, really. You know, it's, um, but like I say, yeah, uh, simple, straight to the point music, really. You know, with the old. Look, I was thinking, that, you guys sang though. Well, like a, lot, a lot of punk bands couldn't sing either, so you guys had a nice melody that. Punks had a melody and some, and I'm not not because I'm I like those bands. I couldn't sing either, so it's not about that. You guys actually had real singing voices, and there's two guys that could sing mm. in a band that wrote melodic songs in the punk band, which kind of made you guys a little bit different. Yeah, and also we just realized, you know, you had the initial explosion of punk, mm-hmm. and every people go, "No, oh, you're a punk man, you're a punk," but, but you know, but then. After a couple of singles, people started to differentiate. You know, the, the clash became the clash, the dam became the dam, the jam became the jam, and buzzcocks became the buzzcocks. It was like, oh, you're like, guess- I'm still a mod. I haven't changed. I'm still a mod. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, yeah. You know, I, I know you were. With all the 60s music, you know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're like, where's this punk thing? I'm still a mod. I'm playing guitar. I'm a mod. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the attitude because, like I say, of course, the strike at the factory. And it, when I got on the stage, it was like, well, I could put two fingers up to the world and people are relating to it. You know, back in 76, that was a massive thing. It's like, mm-hmm. we see where you're coming from. We're in, you know. There was that raw, direct feeling and power um, with the audience and the band of that, you know. And that's, it was like a carpet bomb in Britain and the same in the States. And of course, you had the Ramones as well, which when we started, I think we just got the first Ramones album too, you know. And that yeah. was a big inspiration, you know. It's, it, like, you know, it, it's you've got like, it, but before that, I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, you kind of grew up with the Kinks and the Who and, uh, you know, Beatles, Stones on there, Bob Dylan in my case as well. Um, because that was one of the first albums I heard. The, the, the girl, my mate's girlfriend had the first Beatles album, first Bob Dylan album. That's always surprising I, to hear that, you know? I, the Beatles I get, because I'm a big Beatles fan. But to hear a lot of punk and, we say punk now, but at the time, punk-inspired and, like, even thrash bands. And it seems like a lot of heavier bands or higher-energy bands from UK around the 70s were like, yeah, I was listening to Bob Dylan. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. I was always a bit nervous to say during the early punk days, you kind of couldn't say you like Bob Dylan. Really. No. <laughs> but um, he had a massive impact on me, you know, because I was 70 years old. I went across the road uh, to hear the Beatles album. This girl was drawing a long blonde hair uh, with a hairdryer, which I'd never seen, because it was 1962, you know. <laughs> and... Um, the Russians in 1959 had put Sputnik on the moon, so right. I thought she's got a Sputnik. She's trying to <laughs> long yeah, like this far from a laser gun, right? <laughs> <laughs> we used to have a towel, that's all. But and um, you know, it's the beginning of a uh, consumerism and tech. You know, new technology for you know, the hair dryers and record players. And I heard the first Beatles album, 
I had Twist and Shout the EP, but I couldn't afford the album, you know. Yeah. Um, and the first Bob Dylan album, you sing it blowing in the wind. And um, and I thought, I don't know what that guy's saying, but he's telling me something, you know. So I kind of said, so I think Bob was a punk as well. He always has been, really. Well, I think it's an attitude. I think now we can look back and be like, it doesn't have to be a certain out of tune guitar or tuned in this or that. Punk is an attitude. And now yeah. we can't break away from it. And, and, and it's funny, you, Bob Dylan, you can be like, oh, his voice makes me crazy, or it's, he's a genius. You can, you, can, you can go everywhere with it. But if you really sit down and you look at Bob Dylan's, like his lyrics and what, he, what he's done, yeah. he, more of an anarchist and a punk, um, inspiring creative freedom. You know, uh, as a songwriter, there, there's, there's a different level that you're not seeing as you listen to. Lona Wind is a good pop song, or Simon and Garfunkel. But if you pull back a lot of the covers on things like that, you're like, oh, I get it. There's, there's so much more to that and to what he, what he was doing. And he didn't explain it to, to people. He didn't apologize. He's acoustic. Everyone loves him. He's like, you know what? I'm going to grab my electric guitar now. And everyone's like, what? He's like, that's what I'm doing. And I'm not going to explain it to you. Yeah. I'm going to keep creating and, and writing songs. And if you're there, you're there. He's still doing it now, I think, still sometimes, you know. Yeah. Oh, but that's punk. You know, there's there's a density with Dylanus people know that you know which um, inspired everybody. I think, and it's just something you know. He's always kind of stuck to his guns with the thing, and like I say, that's about the attitude and the way he sees things. But he's managed to about carve his way in his own way, you know. And uh, so you know that that's like punk in its in a in its way, in a Dylan way, you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, people look at them like there's like the Bob Dylan, like a singer songwriter. There's like the, the, the famous version of, of artists, and then there's like the why some like why I like a lot of other musicians, like an artist. You like you know, is there the Buzzcocks pop song single? Oh, I like it. I like a good song, and then I listen to the next single that comes up. Or you're like, oh, I like the songs that it's you know Stephen Pete have written over the past 30, 40 years as artist Buzzcock fan. You know what I'm saying? It's like so there's always like two different layers of fans that really get it. You know? Yeah, I mean. Uh... You know, I used to say, uh, I used to like Joe Strummer singing and Bob Dylan. Anybody who couldn't, who they said couldn't sing, that's what inspired me, you know. Right. <laughs> I a great singer. I thought they were the great singers when I was a kid. You know? <laughs> and, and it's funny, I was just having a talk to the other day with, with an artist. Um, and, and, and you hear these singers, like, as there's a really good female singer out there, but there's a lot of, like, women generally sing a lot better, I think, than men. Their voices are just higher. But the voices are it always seem like there's less of a similarity. Like, but there's like a lot of men singers that sing. They may not be technically as good, but they stand out. And it's almost like yeah. the standout factor, and you're singing your own stuff. There's an emotion to it that makes you a better songwriter and it's a good singer. And sometimes they couldn't sing other people's songs. They sound horrible, but they sound great on their own stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. It's, it's I think, and I think I, I mean, love that. I love that about the singers. Motown music and soul music as a kid as well, you know, especially mm -hmm. when I was old. So I could kind of sing, but I was embarrassed about singing. You know, like these people on these X Factors, they're all good yep. singers, but there's no resonance in the voice or any fucking depth to them, you know. Well, you know, the they're pretty good. But it, it's meaningless, you know what I mean? And I always remember feeling embarrassed about that. It's like, you know, when you're at school and they ask you to sing in the choir or something, it's like, really? I can't, I can't sing well with that. Even if I could sing that kind of thing, you know what I mean? I thought, I don't want that, you know. It's, 
it's just not me, man. You force me into areas I, you know, don't want to go, you know. Which is great. You're embarrassed to sing in a group of people where you can be blended in, but you'll sing out in front of other people by yourself. Yeah, some people love to sing. You know, they want to be like a singer, but they don't know fucking why often. Maybe they want to be famous singing, you know. But it's like- I call those, they're like performers. It's a different audience, different they're performers. And, and cool, good for you. Not the same. Yeah, that's know. it. Well, I realize as well, pre-punk, it's like, look, if I get up there, I, I'm not singing because I want to be loved and adored up there. I'm not one of those fucking singers. I want to go fucking like shit or whatever, you know. What do you think about this proposition? You know, I'm singing that to you. Are we getting it back off each other, you know? Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. This, this is great. I mean, you know, it's, you know, you don't get, I don't get there for singing to be loved. You know? <laughs> Entertainer, it's like, whoa, that's not me, man. <laughs> that's where most unhappiness comes from, you know. I think, think out there to get on a level with somebody in the audience, you know what I mean? But that's yeah, where you're so happy, you know. Somebody. As a songwriter and a singer, you're still happy now. A lot of those people, yeah. if they don't get accepted for singing, nobody loves them. You're like, that's not why I'm singing. So if you don't like my singing or whatever, this this year I'm not the flavor of the week commercially. I'm still the same guy I was last month. I was on the charts and next week if I'm on the charts again I'm still the same guy was last week that wasn't and I don't need your love I'm a songwriter if you love my songs good but I already have my love <laughs> yeah exactly you know it just felt more for somebody to get something out of it like I get something out of records you know what I mean you know when his, you know when you heard certain records as a kid or hopefully now you don't hear too many good ones these days but then days when you got I'll never be the same again you know I just heard the new record by somebody and it's like, I'm never going to be the same again. I can't go back, you know. It's that yeah. kind of stuff. But if we can get to them areas sometimes, you can't always do it, but it's that stuff really, you know. Um, He's not, not a lot of young artists doing, you know, a lot of older older artists that were doing it prior are still releasing music and that's where you have to go get it, you know what I mean? We yeah. got to find the heartfelt music, you know. That's where I've gone, you know. Yeah. I can enjoy. It. I mean, I listen to like a, you know, Steve Conti who's been in the New York Dolls and every other band, or Glenn Matlock just did a single he just put out a while ago, um, on forty five. Actually, the vinyl's down there. Brilliant. You know what I mean? Heartfelt stuff. Even if it's not heartfelt, there's something about the energy of those guys that you love because they mean it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, one of my favorite things. Uh, looking at you, the MC five on. It's like from some university in about 1971 or something. Um, fantastic, you know. It's better than the record, you know. It is. They have a new album coming out. Like that Cheap Trick one as well. Their live version's better than the record, you know. <laughs> but it's kind of magic, you know. But that MC5, yeah. university now, but, um, you know, that's got magic, you know. Those guys Once working again. together. Too. And it's writing and that, because there's a, there's a, it's inside of them too. The writing they're not writing for hits. You know what I mean? Wayne Kramer's yeah. not writing for hits. He's writing what's inside of him still to this day. He's just, I just you know, talk to him. He's the same guy inside he's always been, and he, he still writes that way. It's you know, yeah, that's it. And that's why you, that's why you could still listen, listen to it now. It's like you mm-hmm. know, it's and timeless qualities that overworldly stuff. You know. And it was always, always the same with the buzzcocks in that way. We never had to ask anybody to get off the seat or clap their hands, you know. 
there was immediate reaction, which was always important. It's kind of like, you've heard a few things about us, so we want to know about you. And there was that excitement, because you're, you're only in the church of rock and roll for about an hour and a half, you know, at a gig. Yeah. Uh, all your life become, comes before you in some ways, you know. I'm going out there with all that early past stuff we're talking about, and I'm looking at the crowd, and I'm feeling what this stuff in the middle, you know, you see God, the devil, and everything between the audience and the band. But there's a lot, <laughs> there's magic there in this holy church of rock and roll, things that, you know. The fact that, that you created, you guys have friend. created a, something so good that's, that, that holds so long, all these songs. I mean, not just a couple of the singles that people know. The fans that go, they know every word. We sing every, it's the whole show. And yeah. it resonates all these years to people. And it's still relatable. It's still a good love song. It's still, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. How to do that is, how, you know, that that's something that every artist wants to do. And you guys got a, a bag full of them, you know, and you're still doing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean it was quite amazing. We, we've only been to Chile once. We've been to South America a lot, you know, Rio and Sao Paulo and Argentina. We went to Chile one time, and we must go back. It was about 3,000 capacity big hole. And all these kids knew every word, you know. I couldn't believe it, you know. I thought we'd never been here before. They knew of us, of course, but they knew the words better than us, I think. <laughs> some level, on some levels, you guys are actually bigger than you were when you first started, when you guys were big, you know. On some level, you guys are bigger now than you were when you were big when you first started. Yeah. But it's always that, you know. Even the whole comes respectable in the end, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Steve, that's hilarious. That's great. Um, I think, um, well, what's amazing is, is as well is, um, as well as people our ages and older that come to the show, um, so many young kids have discovered the Buzzcocks over the years. You know, we, we realised as we've played over the years, we've got mm -hmm. the new generations, which was a great testament to the songs, really, you know. Well, that's my point, and that's why I'm, that's actually why I'm talking to you because I know these songs, but I want my audience, which I tried making a varied audience of all different types of music artists, to be like, hey, there's a lot of artists out there that you guys may not have heard of that influenced everything. And I mean, it's a gig and stuff, you know, and we're getting on a bit now. It's like, wow, that's amazing. They get it, you know. But then, you know, record company demographics and these people that have ruined and ruled this. They go, you're old guys, you know, no young kid's going to listen to you. And it's like, excuse me, if you ever came to a show, you'd see, you know, <laughs> you'd see yeah, you 18-year-old. I know, but you take it, an artist like you, of your um, stature of, of like legacy music, it just still stands, right? And take somebody else and you compare your Instagram numbers and theirs could be, you know, I don't know, 80 times bigger than yours. Then you guys set up a date for a club or theater to play and you see who comes to your show how many people actually show up to your show and how many people show up to theirs and the truth is the numbers are not gonna are not the same the oh. media wants these big numbers but the same people like a lot of those instagram ones that are great to sit in your couch and watch because they're fantastically talented on their beds playing it's not going to deliver it at the club those people are not going to get in their cars and go watch a rock show you know and i think that's forgotten yeah what those numbers really mean yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, uh, well, I mean, like, young kids still listen to the Beatles or discover the Beatles again, some all kind of ages. And also, they're still doing Shakespeare, you know. <laughs> and he's right. older than us. 
Bold enough. <laughs> you still do him. Yeah. I know. But um, so we do cover a lot of ground with young people, which is good because, you know, we was 20 years old when we started and you, you don't know whether you're going to, the amount of bands through influence has been amazing as well. You don't set out to do all those kind of things. And you don't know, you just kind of think your audience is the, the guys down the road and people of the same age. And then, like so over the years, it, it's been a great testament to the songs that these uh, younger kids have yeah. picked up as well, you know, as well as all the great people that have stuck with us, you know, over the years. And got well, it and journey, you know. Yeah, absolutely. When uh... oh, you say the love song thing, but um, you know, we had a few hits for them, you know, a few very strong love songs, but there's a lot that are not, you know what I mean? I know and that. I have to mean, I mean even, even like loving life kind of gets you know to I mean? me. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, the, the other guys that sing the love songs, it's like, well, I don't. They're not all love songs by any means. <laughs> just lots that are not, you know? I, I realize that maybe step it back to me. I mean, right? say love. To me, love almost like, I feel like for love, almost it's a, it's a love of life. It's a love of thinking. It's a it's a positive thing. I, I probably engulf love into more than whatever because you're not a doom and bloom band and you always yeah. have a smart spin on it. And to me... Don't to me, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles wrote love songs as well in their ways, you know what I mean? They all do, really. But... um. You know, fast cards and autonomy and stuff. They're not love songs. <laughs> no, no. But I think you know we covered a lot of ground. The the human condition. I think that's the way we're trying to do it. You know, absolutely. So, but um, some some of them love songs have been very powerful. So you know, that's been a great thing as well. Well, they're a touchstone for a lot of people that to get into you. You know what I mean? They are they are your gateway to get to you guys. You know. Yeah, I mean, people that understand the band a lot and not just bought a compilation album understand it. <laughs> you right. what's, going, what's that song you had, you know? I think every band gets out there, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't like subscribe that. to... The, yeah, there's nothing yeah. to the one hit wonder to me, you know? That's that's what they think your band is, just that one hit, you know? <laughs> no, you know, I don't I don't believe... I don't like that term. I think it's it's it's, it's, it's still very short. It's, it's lazy. It's lazy journalism. It's lazy thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's a lazy, it's a footnote to get attention. But the truth is, unless you literally, unless you actually had one single, <laughs> you, you're not. If you, if you had stuff out there, then it's not a one. You know, what I mean, it's 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 a weird term. But during COVID, also thinking about we during that COVID period, we had um, um, in the nineties. I think we had at least uh, we brought four albums out from the beginning of the nineties mm-hmm. up a few years ago. So we brought a box set out of those as well. So it's like, you know, about, must be 80 songs on those, you know. And we brought a demo album out. We found a lot of demos that we'd left in the studio. And the demo album's amazing. That fans said to me, how come you didn't put this one on? And, that? and it's like, even I don't know, it was kind of like we'd be in the studio and we'd have some left over. Yeah. By the time we were to record the album, it's like, well, we've got these new songs, and then you'd forgotten the other ones because you're in a different studio. So we've we we put this demo album out on vinyl, and that's really good. I mean, it blew me away as well. I thought, you know, I knew I had cassette for these, but we managed to unearth things 
and uh, Cherry Red, the record label that was doing it, they was really good at finding people. You know, they found little demos. Um, I mean, there's a couple of demos from my Porter's studio that I haven't got now. And, and I wow. thought I had the I thought I, had, <laughs> I took one cassette to a studio one time when we was going to do an album in the eighties, and mm-hmm. um, and I thought, "Fuck, somebody's got that." <laughs> um, I'm kind of glad they did because it's like you know extra tracks on these things we put out, you know, from little home demos. Little How crazy is that? To, uh, that was a thing. Studio demos, so. Over the last year, we've had a good time. We, you know, we had the, we brought a lot of people up to date with stuff and a few lines. And this, we'll have all the links for everybody's listening. We'll put all the links for all this underneath the show, so people can click, click and get the albums and listen to them and support the artists and the website. All this stuff. We're gonna have all the links, all your media, to direct people to see your stuff. Okay. There's a lot of history there. I mean, I don't yeah. say when I've met Pete Townsend a few times, I don't go. Yeah, you had that song. What was it? My generation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I look, a couple. Of... You need to be. You had a couple more, didn't you? At least you need to be going on to who's next and all the rest of it, which is a completely different style than um, those early hits. You know, the kids are all right. So. But um, that's what it's like if somebody says, "Oh, you're the guys that did ever fall in love." He's like, "Please, man." You know what I mean? You bought a compilation album with us, Blondie and some other fuckers, and yep. you know, <laughs> get real, follow the band, you know, get on the there's like, Well, there's a lot of you guys have a lot of good stuff, a lot, and that's why I want people to listen to you, and that's why you're we're talking today. It's it's you know. Yeah, I think it gives a better picture of what you're about, you know, and it's kind of the latest of the journey is kind of good on it, you know, different. Trying to move it on in different styles. We had that electronic album, Modern. Mm-hmm. Like you know, a bit of electronic keyboard influence with the punk style buzzcocks. I mean, you know, we went on a couple of different things. You know, some it's people, just different. Yeah, some people like it, some people don't. I, 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 it probably sits middle to me. I like it depends on the mood I'm in. It really, I'm the kind of person who enjoys a band, and I like all the journeys. I don't have a band do an album that not you guys, yeah. but anybody that I didn't like because the band did it. Because that's what you do. You make music. You're not making it for me. I like it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking, like, like you say, some people will like that and some people won't. But I kind of knew that. But I thought it's, it'd be great to have that on the, you know, in the catalog on their journey. You know, there's so nothing wrong with that. They did that, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people like it, and then some don't. So after that, the ones that said it don't sound like the old Buzzcocks, and the next album we brought some of the elements back from Flatback Philosophy. So okay, then we'll bring, you know. But I think you've got to have them albums where it's a bit like, fuck, a bit dangerous, or it's not quite what people wanted in the wrong stuff. No, some of my favorite groups have done that. Yeah, their albums are just totally different because that's what you do, you know? With COVID oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of wrapping up, maybe if the variant doesn't come back, are we, are we going to see you over here in the US once the album's done? Just pre-COVID, we had um, we did the 10 shows over here, then the COVID hit. We, uh, we had a gig at the Punk Rock Bowling, mm-hmm. and we had a I think we was going to do the LA, LA L Ray Ballroom. And mm-hmm. um, we were going to, um, we had about six West Coast shows. And then we, as that was booked, we was, um, they were looking at doing the, the East Coast, New York and Boston and stuff. That's then, the where COVID, I am. then the COVID hit. And, um, 
So at the moment, we're kind of got to wait and see how it goes because uh, we had a big festival booked in Scotland and I believe I just got the word yesterday that that might not be happening now because of this COVID regulations yeah. and Scotland, different things, which is sad. So we're hoping to get to the States when we, as soon as we can, you know, just um, all these fucking rules about all this stuff, you know. We've got one festival here and we're doing uh, a couple of little shows around that in two weeks, you know. I'd love to see you, but I get, to, I get, to, I get that it's hard. Touring is hard. I'm just as a as a fan. It's never got a chance to see you over in the East Coast. It would be well, very yeah, nice. That's what we're hoping to do. You know, a couple of people on the social media going shows, and I'm like, look, we'll be there tomorrow, but we don't know. <laughs> I understand the behind the scenes of, of touring. <laughs> you know how hard it is for you guys, especially from any, well, anywhere else outside the U.S. This regulation stuff. So as soon as they get it all sorted a bit more, then. Hopefully we can do it, you know, because um, yeah. people are still not sure whether some half of these festivals can go ahead. I'm surprised we're doing one in two weeks. and uh, They've had the go-ahead for that one, but I say this other festival is going to go on to, mm-hmm. um, that's possibly going to be cancelled now because it's in Scotland, that one, and different yeah. routes, you know. The variant, I think, I think what's going to happen is by... I have tickets for some shows too. And I, I'm very careful buying tickets right now because I have so many shows that are being postponed already that I yeah. think by December, uh, even before December, things are closing down again for the winter until the spring again. Uh, you know, until maybe by then enough of vaccines and we'll be really start locking down stuff. I, I don't think, I think it's coming back. We're going to have another wave of, of closures. Well, that's what they're saying. And the, our, our agent over here said, really, we're kind of looking at booking for shows for next year, you know, yeah. because. And I guess it's kind of looking that way. But in the That's meantime, right. uh, um, you know, over the next few weeks, because um, um, I'll be doing this Buzzcocks album. And to yeah. be honest, I'm pretty excited by now because it's taking a few turns and twists that will be interesting to people, you know. It's got all the elements. So I'm kind of excited about it, really. It's like, well, it's, you know, you start writing an album and then, You've got to wait till it starts finding a life of its own. You know what I mean? Like its own legs. You know what's this about? I'm doing a sketch, and then suddenly the picture starts coming out. You know, and it's like that. And then the problem I've got now: we've got too many songs for the album. <laughs> no, that's not a problem. Maybe a couple of extra ones on the single because I definitely want to make sure we press the vinyl and stuff. I know they'll be doing, I don't give a fuck about the streaming. I don't know how to stream anything, you know. But um, I know they'll be doing the streaming as well. But uh, as long as we still got the beat, you won't see the you won't see the stream money anyhow. Someone will see it. The, one, the people that know how to how to stream that will make the money, they'll figure out how to stream your music to make your money. You're not going to see that streaming. How come they'll be doing the streaming? Because you know, if people can't get the record right away. They tend to stream this thing and then they'll right. buy the record. A, right. a lot of. Art. A lot of the old school vinyl people. Mm-hmm. So, um, but to me, it still counts till we get the vinyl. And I do the CDs. I like the CDs, you know. Yeah. And hopefully, That's excellent. I'm just about to buy myself a New York Ghetto Blaster again, you know. <laughs> Those would be incredibly great. This has been fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. I okay. want to have you back once your album's out. And I want to talk about, we'll break down your tracks if you want. I guess the thing is, and, um, by the time we've done this album and stuff, I'm 
think I'd love it all to be like, you know, by the end of the year, but I'm guessing yeah. it'll be next year when we yeah. start talking and all that, you know? 